Well, good morning again. Happy Easter to you. We're really glad that you're here today. It really filled in. I was thinking it was going to be more sparse than this, so super fun. Um, okay, you guys, next Sunday here at church, we're going to be having a baptism service during our regular morning service. And if you are someone that has been like, eh, I don't know, I don't know, do it. No, um, there's going to be an opportunity for you to be baptized. There's not a class that you need to take. There's no forms for you to fill out. Um, just come, and if you sign up for it, we can give you some details ahead of time. Things like, what do I wear? Um, what time is it going to happen? Where do you want me to be? That sort of thing. Do I have to say something? Um, spoiler alert, you don't. So there's that. Um, but the way that you sign up for that um, is that you text the word baptism to the Brookview number, or you can fill out an online connect card, or for the first time in a long time, drum roll please, I know, for those of you, connect cards on your chair. Um, for those of you that are remembering pre-COVID, we used to have a bulletin that we put in your hand every week, and it would have one of those cards inside of it. And um, in COVID, you just didn't pass things around. So we didn't, we just kind of got rid of those. And I was set free from bulletin <laughs> folding for a good chunk of time. Um, but we have decided to bring back this in-person Connect card for you because we noticed that a lot of people, once you leave here, you're not thinking about it again. And so this is your opportunity to just kind of respond to whatever's going on in the morning. Um, so I'll talk more about that because my notes say I should tell you more about it later. So I'm going to move on to the other thing. And that is we have some really cool work that we get to do in our community. We partner with a local elementary school through the Edmonds Schools Foundation for Kids. Um, it's called the Nourishing Network. And we distribute food every month to families that the school resource person has identified as being in need. And so they come, they pull up at their school, and we just put groceries in their car, and it's a really beautiful thing that we get to be a part of. And um, so every month we have a food and supply drive for things like apples and bananas and potatoes, produce that they really can't get in other places or are harder to find. And as you all know, life is getting more expensive. Um, and for many of those families, their COVID benefits have gone away. And so we're serving more and more families through that. Our other partnership that we have is with Vision House, and that is a little ways down the road here in Shoreline. And they're a group that helps families that are facing homelessness. And what we do there is the supplies that we bring in for that stock their residence store. And what they do for their residents is they um, give them rent incentive for paying rents on time when they're responsible to do the things that, um, that like paying their rent or showing up to classes for support and um, information and training and that kind of thing. They get tickets to go in and shop in this residence store. And so we fill that with diapers and kids shampoo and rice and easy to make meals, um, easy to open cans of soup and that kind of stuff. So um, it's okay because last service I had an alarm that was going off every 10 minutes. So that was super cool for everyone when I did that. Okay. But okay. So if you are interested in partnering with us in any way with that, you could bring in those supply items that we bring every month. There's a digital sign up for that and you text the word helping to the Brookview number, and that will automatically push that list to you. Um, and you bring it into church before you come to church next Sunday, or we also have it on the ramp on the outside door here during the week, and then we just kind of scoop those up and, and bring them inside at the end of the day. So um, that's it. Yes. On your seat, I mentioned that. Connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out. Um, and there's a basket on your way out of church this morning that those cards get dropped into as well. So whatever, not everybody has to fill one out, but if you're responding to something in the service, you can do that. 
And then for those of you that are watching online, as you fill out your online Connect card, we just wanted you to know that that data gets collected every Tuesday. And so um, if you send something in on Wednesday, we won't get it till the following Tuesday. So if you are on Thursday, fill a card out and come to me on Sunday and say, hey, did you get my card? I'll say, nope, because it's not Tuesday. Um, but I'll be nicer about it than that, probably. Or I won't. Um, you just never know. Uh, so anyway, we just wanted you to know that um, we have to kind of streamline some things in the office. Um, but there's an email address that you can reach us immediately if something is more urgent than that. We are really glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, happy Easter to you. Christ is risen. morning. Is that, uh, is it, is on? Okay. It just was kind of weak. I felt weak. <laughs> you guys, you know what isn't weak? Jesus is risen and the Mariners are on fire <laughs> and they've won two in a row. They're four and five and it's Easter Sunday. Well, to begin today, I, I want you guys to think for a second, just think to yourself for a second, like what is your, what's your favorite story or what is a favorite story for you? Think of like movies or books. Um, what's, what's a favorite story for you? For me, the, the first story I remember like really captivating me uh, was a book. So my third grade teacher read it to, read it to our class. Did, it, did a lot of you have teachers read books to you in class? Epic. And so, so and, I, and then in fourth grade, I moved schools, different school districts and everything, and ironically, my fourth grade teacher chose to read us the same book. And you guys, I loved it so much that I actually read it at home. And that was saying something, because I had dyslexia and struggled to read, and my mom was a teacher, and she knew I needed extra help. And so, because I loved this particular story and just raved about it, she talked me into reading it together, like the two of us. So she'd read a part of it, then I'd read a part of it, and if I started to struggle, she would jump in, but we would read it out loud. And it was really hard for me, but man, I loved that book. So, you guys want to know the book? I'll give you a hint and see if any of you can guess. It was a story about a boy named Billy and his two dogs. Anybody? Where the red fern grows. How many of you, how many of you read that? How many of you read that? How many of you liked, liked it? Some of you, I, I saw some hands go down. <laughs> I mean, Jesus loves you, but I don't know. So it is a, it's a heartwarming story about uh, a boy living near the Ozark Mountains, and all he wants is hunting dogs. And so he sacrifices everything and scrapes together everything to save, and he goes out and he buys these two hounds, and they go on these crazy adventures. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but in the end, the dogs die. <laughs> and you guys, my mom made me read the sad parts. Like, out loud. And those of you that, that know me, you won't believe this. <laughs> but I got kind of choked up. Yeah. Okay, so again, what's, what's your favorite story? Think it over. As you do, let me share one more. In, um, in college, I, I, was, I just became captivated by another story. And it was, it was a movie. It was a movie about injustice and bravery and the desire for freedom. Can anyone guess the story? Braveheart, yes, every man dies. <laughs> Not every man really lives. So in college, because I watched that movie like 50 times because my roommates and I couldn't afford cable, and so we had a VCR, and we had like three movies, right? And so uh, uh, Braveheart was one of them, so I just watched it over and over and over. Does anybody else love that movie? Okay, good. Um, you, guys, you guys will never guess, again, not to ruin it. You know, you have had 30 years, but he dies at the end. 
And it still chokes me up. So here's my point. Stories can be so powerful for the human soul. Um, if, you, if you feel up to it, there's no pressure on this, but if you feel up to it, share with the person next to you a favorite story. Think a book or a movie or a legend or whatever. Just take a second. All right, all right. All right, bring it back. What do we got? Uh, give, me, give me something that's, give me a, a story somebody loves. Narnia. Yeah, great story. Chronicles of Narnia. What else? Lord of the Rings. What? Patriot. Like the movie? Star Wars. Great movies, you guys. Dumb and Dumber. That's your people? Oh, my goodness. So as human beings, it's interesting because if you just watch, if you just watch people and just observe, we are, we are enthralled by stories. It's, it's like we crave story. We, we crave purpose and resolution. We crave for good to triumph over evil. evil. We crave beauty and love and justice and to find our place within some larger plot line. Like, I don't know about you guys, as a kid growing up, I was Luke Skywalker, yes, about to go out and defeat the Death Star. And so this, for many of us, this goes beyond like liking stories. We live stories. Like even if you're not big into movies or books, we all imagine ourselves within some larger story of humanity, we do. Um, Colin Majak, pastor I like in, in Portland, he says it this way. He says, we crave a story in which to belong, a story of transcendence in which beauty shines, love is known, and good wins out. And I would argue that as humans, we seek a story to satisfy these longings, whether consciously or not. We are searching for a story to, to live within all the time. So we attempt to live by a narrative script through which we make sense of the complexities and chaos of life in the modern world. Like Buddhism is a story, right? Atheism is a kind of story. Scientific naturalism is a story, and so is the story of Jesus, and on and on and on. They are all a kind of interpretation of what it means to be human. So the question we have to ask, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, is what story am I living into? Because the story you live in is the story you live out. So what story are, are you living? Is it the narrative script that says, okay, more money, more money, more possessions, more success, right? That's the good life. Or, or maybe it's the narrative that says, no, that was, that was like mom and dad's life. I know better than that. That's just silly. I'm more about experiences than stuff, right? It's, it's Seattle. It's the city. It's the nightlife. It's food and drinks and traveling to exotic places. It's all about experiences, right? That's the good life. What is the story that you're living into? Today is, today's Easter, which is a fundamental part of the story of the Bible and the story of Jesus. But instead of doing a message exclusively on the resurrection of Jesus, what I want us to do is see how Easter fits into, like, the narrative as a whole. The Bible tells us a story about God, about humanity, about why we're here, and about where all this chaos, chaos and complexity is going. And so my goal today is to present the story of Jesus. And, and while this, the, the resurrection, like, is an integral part of the story, it only plays a part in a, in a much bigger story. So today we will see the resurrection within like the larger narrative. And so, so today I have a very simple task, which is to teach you the entire Bible in one sermon. <laughs> so to do that, uh, we are going to, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Ladies, hold your hair down, hold your bonnets, your hats on. We are, we're going to fly. You looked around, you're like, there's not a bonnet in here. I, I don't care. It's Easter. <laughs> Pretend you're in the South. So to make sense of the story and to kind of keep us moving, I've broken the entire Bible into six main chapters. So we have creation, then the fall, Israel, Jesus, the church, 
and new creation. Okay, so to dive in, let's go to the very beginning of the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. The story begins with this. In the beginning, God. Now let's pause. From the very beginning, God is the main character of the story we're about to read. At this point in the story, we don't know anything about this God. Who is he? What is he like? All we know is that he existed in the beginning, like before the cosmos. And what does he do? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we follow the story, we see that this being created all that is, that he created a world full of complexity and beauty. And we see that in the, in the beginning, everything that God wants happens. Like his will is done every time. I mean, put another way, God is, God is king. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And this is the pattern that goes on and on. God will say, let there be. And then we're told, and there was. So every time God speaks, something comes into being. His will is done every time. Every time God the king makes something, he stands back, he acknowledges it, and he calls it what? Good. So in this story, God is the good king bringing forth nothing but goodness. And as the crown jewel, he creates humanity. So let's jump down to verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So human beings are created, we're told, in God's image, meaning to be a human is to be fashioned in God's image. The very nature of, of being human means that you reflect God. And perhaps this is why we're, we're so deeply moved by art, right? Or by two people connecting or why souls can be stirred by, by music or by the birth of a child or perhaps this is why we grieve the death of a loved one so deeply because in the face of every human you encounter, you are catching a reflection of God himself. So God created creatures called humans that reflect him uniquely and then we're told he put them in this beautiful garden for a purpose. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Now notice the string of commands. Be fruitful, increase, fill, subdue, rule. So in this story, God is the true king, the good king, but humanity has a job. Humanity, humanity exists to be little kings and little queens under him. And we are each to rule bits and pieces of his kingdom on his behalf. So God has ultimate authority, but he continually gives it away. Like, like God, these humans are to harness the goodness of creation. They are to work with the raw materials of the garden and forge more goodness and more beauty out of it. So they're, they're to produce and create more goodness everywhere they go. Like they are to build relationships and community. They are to create families. They are to make art and architecture and build things and invent things. They are to make new recipes, write music and poetry and stories. They are to enjoy God's good world and continually make it better. And maybe this is why we all seem to come alive when we do good work, right? Like when you build a fence. How many of you have built a fence? I have never built a fence. I envy you, but that's good work. I mean, at the end of it, are you not like, that's my fence? Or when we fix a dishwasher, right? Or we knit a sweater or whatever your thing is. When you paint and decorate a, a, new, a new room in your home or someone else's home or you build a website or when you create art or, or music or poetry. Because this is what humanity is made for. Life with God in his good world. So notice this is a story where we belong, where beauty shines, love is known, and good wins out. But then comes the second chapter of our story, right? The fall. 
The kingdom and its, its little kings and queens, they rebel from the good king. Genesis chapter 2 now. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God, God gives them freedom and responsibility with just one restriction. And here, we're faced with the human dilemma. Each of us is faced moment by moment with a choice. Will I trust God and his definition of good and evil, or will I decide good and evil for myself? And this is where the story, you guys, gets weird. So on to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this passage raises a lot of questions, right? Where does this serpent come from? Who is he? And why is he talking? And is he a literal snake? And we aren't told any of this, and I think it's on purpose, because, you guys, it's not the point. Whatever this voice is, its primary goal is to undermine trust in God to convince them that God intends to restrict their happiness. And I love, I love how the, the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. Any of you have the, the Jesus Storybook Bible? Man, this is so good. Here's the children's version of this story. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered up to Eve. Imagine you're three or four years old. This is creepy already. <laughs> Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat that nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk deep down into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly she didn't know anymore. Okay, on to verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And so the humans of our story have trusted the voice of the serpent over, over the voice of their father who loves them. They're convinced to determine good and evil for themselves. And in this story, you guys... This is the problem behind all problems. And the consequences are massive. From this moment on, all of creation and human society begins spiraling out of control. The next chapters are filled with appalling violence and brokenness. But, but in this story, the snake and his voice and, and distrust of God are at the epicenter of everything that's wrong in the world. So it is at the root of things like racism. It's at the root of injustice of all kinds. It's the root of the wound from a cruel or a distant father. It's the root of the habit that you can't seem to shake and just keep going back to. It's the root of cancer and COVID and loneliness and fear. It's the root of war, jealousy, hate, envy, and every kind of oppression. It's the root of police brutality and drug wars and inner city gangs. It's the root of mental illness and depression and suicide. It's, it's the root of what's wrong with nature itself. As C.S. Lewis said, C.S. Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis once said, brilliant man, professor, Cambridge and Oxford, and he just said it this way. He said, when humanity told God to shove off, which is, I think, a British way of saying, like, go away and get lost. When humanity told God to shove off, he partially honored that request. And even nature is off now. Hurricanes, droughts, tsunamis, earthquakes, famines. And of course, it, this is at the heart of every moment that God seems far away and we feel alone. Because out of his deep respect for the human will and personhood, God himself is now farther from any of us than he ever wanted to be. So there's an explanation 
for all of this junk right at the beginning of our story. And the explanation is simply this, that things are not as they're supposed to be. But this story is not without hope. Remember, everything we know about this God so far is that he's good. And next, we discover that he's devoted to rescue. So let's look at verses 14 and 15. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So God says he's going to put animosity between the serpent, the source of evil, and an offspring of the woman. One day there will come a human being and he will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, one day a human being will come that, that will come along that will go to war with evil itself. He will crush it. He will defeat it. But he will be wounded in return. He will conquer evil through the process of experiencing its bite. So who is this person? Who is this child? Who is this one to come? Well, we don't know at this point. But the entire story hinges upon this promise. The deceiver will not have influence forever. Evil will not last forever. One day, one will come who will crush its head. And this promise is picked up in chapter 3 of our story, okay, the story of Israel. So we jump now a few chapters ahead to Genesis chapter 12, and we meet, we meet a man named Abram, who later became Abraham, who had many sons. I'm one of them, and so are you. <laughs> and if that doesn't make any sense, and you're like, this guy's lost his mind, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So here we go. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That doesn't sound very clear. But God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then here's the following line. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So if Abraham trusts God and leaves his old life behind to follow him, God will bless Abraham and his family and in turn, Abraham's family will bless the entire world. In other words, Abraham, if you and your family follow and trust me, I'm going to rescue my world through you. I'm going to restore the world to beauty and make everything what it should be again. And Abraham trusted, and he followed. And Abraham had, Abraham had 12 sons who became 12 tribes. And after time, they became a nation called Israel. And Israel's job was to trust and to follow God and then to model God's goodness to the world. But if you know, if you know the story, if you read this, it's depressing because this rarely happens. Time and again, the people of Israel turn their backs on God. They repeatedly define good and evil for themselves. They repeatedly listen to the voice of the deceiver and they find themselves facing brokenness again and again. And yet, God refuses to give up on his world, the people that he loves. He continues to insist, the king will come. Evil will be defeated. Things will be made right. And this is where we move into chapter 4. Jesus. And here, we start to see some light emerging in all this darkness. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He writes, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. How about that? So Jesus is a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham sent to crush the serpent. And almost right away, Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the serpent head on. Like in Matthew chapter 4, he's just getting this thing started. Matthew's just getting the the story started. In Matthew 4, Jesus is is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he encounters the devil or the tempter or or the Satan, mano-a-mano. And the voice of this figure has a familiar sound to it, a whisper to lure Jesus. Are you really God's son? Does he really love you? 
Well, why don't you just reach out and take what's yours? You deserve it. You're the Messiah. You're the, you, you take the power. Take the praise of the people. You don't have to humble yourself, and you don't have to die. If your father really loved you, like you say, he would never even ask this of you. But Jesus holds his ground, and he trusts God where Adam and many, many others did not. And this begins Jesus' assault on evil on behalf of humanity. Because Jesus confronted evil not only in the wilderness, but with every part of his life and his message. Like he went to war with the effects of evil by healing the sick everywhere he went, by welcoming the lonely into his community. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. You don't understand what I've done, you're welcome. By freeing people from the devil's grip, however they were chained. By doing justice and loving his enemies and teaching everyone to love one another. He insisted that the kingdom of God through him is actually here now. That God, the good king, is taking back his world from evil forces. And anyone wanting to participate in his kingdom is welcome. No matter your past, no matter your reputation, anyone and everyone are welcome in his kingdom. All are invited to follow Jesus and to learn from him a completely different way to be human. Jesus showed us what it looks like to live under God's good rule, what it looks like to flourish as a human being in God's good world. And he says, follow me and let me teach you my way. But that's not all. Jesus ultimately would defeat evil by his own death. Right? He would crush its head, but it would strike his heel. He would be crucified on a Roman cross by corrupt evil men, and in so doing, he would throw open a door to a completely new reality, to forgiveness and healing and hope for all. Because in that moment of trust in the goodness of his Father, Jesus absorbed absorbed sickness and evil and hate right into his own body, and all of it died there, so that when he breathed his last breath, he cried out to his Father in victory, It is finished. So Jesus took the serpent's bite so that with his death, Jesus let the serpent drain all of its venom into his body. He defeated death through death. But that's not the end of the story, right? Because three days later, Jesus rose to life. He demonstrated his power over evil and death itself. And this new life is now what's on offer to us all. Like through faith in Jesus, we can be filled with new life like right now, today, in this life. How? Well, we have power over things like shame and guilt and fear and anger and hate and greed and a whole mess of other junk. And we can begin through the power of Jesus at work in us to actually live like Jesus. We can begin a completely new way of living, a new way of being human. We can be filled with the the Spirit of God and and begin to actually perceive God and see Him and recognize Him. We can live with peace and confidence knowing that death is nothing, that on the other side of death is resurrection, that even death will not have the final word. Okay, we're going to come back to resurrection in just a moment. But for the early followers of Jesus, this resurrection hope, it changed everything. Like, the whole story came into focus for them. Which leads us to the fifth chapter in this story, uh, which is the church. From the book of Acts to the book of Jude, we read about the followers of Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, living the way of Jesus, like this new way to be human, and taking the the good news of this new way and, and what Jesus had done to the ends of the earth. And as they do, piece by piece, God begins putting his broken world back together a little bit. And this is where this transcendent story like intersects with us because we find ourselves in the fifth chapter, right? Like the news of of Jesus spread from Jerusalem to Rome and all throughout Europe and eventually it found its way somehow to you and me. Like here we are in a little church in Briar, Washington or wherever you happen to be online and just like the first followers of Jesus, we have a choice. We can follow and serve King Jesus, trusting in his way to be human, and in so doing can partner with God to see his world restored, or we can, we can listen to the voice of the serpent. 
But God's hope for us is that we'd increasingly learn to live the way of Jesus and that God would bring beauty and goodness back to his world through us one day at a time, one place at a time, day after day after day. That as we trust God and learn the way of Jesus, we would begin doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. That like Jesus, we would love and we would serve and we would welcome the lonely and we would bring justice and we would bring healing to people in all kinds of ways. And in bits and pieces, we would trust God and reflect Jesus so that God would break heaven into this world through us. But like the earliest followers of Jesus, we're still waiting for what's to come. In Romans 8, Paul describes all of creation longing for God to come in full. And this is, this is the biggest question that I get asked as a pastor. If God is good and God loves us and he loves me and he loves everything, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much brokenness? How can that be? And in Romans 8, Paul describes all of creation, all of creation longing for God to come in full. So like the trees and the flowers and the birds and the fish, and your labradoodle. (laughs) And ultimately, you and me and everyone we love, everything on the planet. Paul uses a metaphor of, of childbirth. The picture is that right now, all of creation, he's saying all of creation, it's like it's in the pains of childbirth. People still get sick and they die, and there's still injustice, and evil is still done all over earth. Nature itself is broken. There's earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis. There's cancer. There's COVID. There are birth pains. But even right now, Paul insists and Jesus insists that something new is being born, and we ache for the day when it is brought to completion, which leads us to the final chapter, the new creation. The central Christian hope for 2,000 years is that one day Jesus will return, that he will come as the humble, compassionate king, and he will heal his world. Evil will be destroyed once and for all, and all creation will become what it was always intended to be. And we're given a, a picture of this at the end of the final book in Scripture, the book of Revelation. And this is a vision, it's a promise from Jesus to his people. This image of, a, of the great dragon or a snake being thrown into abyss where the rightful king will sit on the throne and love and justice and joy will come in full to everyone and everything. The idea is every broken thing will be healed. And this is a vision given to, to John of where everything is heading. This is just stunning to me. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So in this transcendent story, beauty shines, love is known, and good wins out. And for me, you guys, not only do I, do I think that this story is beautiful, for a variety of reasons that I will not dive into right now, I think it's true. I really believe it's true. I think Jesus really lived and he really did some crazy stuff. And I think this story is true. And you know what else? This is the story I want to live. And by the way, if, if you wanted to live this story, what would you do first? Like, is there a concrete way to say to God, I'm in. I'm in for this. I want to live into and out of this story. I want to learn the way of Jesus and bring goodness to this world in partnership with you as I wait for you to make all things new. Is there a definitive way to say to God, I'm in for this? Like, I'm in. Well, different expressions of, of Christianity have used various means to signal this. 
And for some, it's like coming forward at the end of a church service. For some, it's, it's a prayer you pray. For some, it's, it's raising your hand or standing up. And, and all of those things are, are, are good things. They're good things. But in the Bible, the one definitive way to say yes to Jesus, to say I'm in, is to be baptized. The act of baptism is a way to identify with Jesus' death and his resurrection. It's a statement to God that like, I'm in for all of this. And baptism, the thing is, baptism is the first step, not the last. So you say yes to the story of Jesus through baptism, and then you spend the rest of your life learning to live into it. And that includes working through all kinds of questions and doubts and habits and struggles. Like, you don't have to have everything figured out in order to be baptized. If it required that, I'm just going to let you guys in on a little secret. No one would ever be baptized. You don't have to have it all worked out, and you don't have to have it all figured out, but you do have to say, God, I trust, I trust you enough to want to live the story of Jesus as my own. And I'm ready. I'm ready to grow and learn and mature. I trust Jesus, not perfectly, but I trust Jesus, and I want to live into and out of his story. And so, God, heal me, teach me, make me new. I'm in. And baptism is not like a magical act, right? It's a, it's a physical expression of a spiritual reality. And I, I love the way that Paul explains what it is in Romans chapter 6, the way that he connects it to the whole story of what Jesus has done. And I love the way that this, is, that this gets fleshed out in the message paraphrase. Um, so baptism is, in a sense, a picture of the whole story. Um, and, and this is Paul. Uh, this is Paul as paraphrased by Eugene Peterson in the message. Love this. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. And when we're, when we're raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life no longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. So if you want to come alive to God's voice in your life, if you want help letting old destructive habits die, what do you do? You get baptized. And then you learn to live into and out of the story. And many of you in this room, you've done that. I mean, many of you in this room, you have done that, and now you're in the process of working it all out. But others of you, like, you're ready to take that step. You look at where you're at in this whole thing, and it's like, it's, it's your time. So as Jen said, we're doing a baptism next Sunday. And um, if you think you're remotely interested in being baptized, I would just encourage you to mark your, your, your Connect card, or if you're online, mark your online Connect card, and I will reach out to you and process this with you. And if that means I'm having 50 phone conversations and coffees with people this week, I'm doing it. <laughs> because this is a really big deal. And if you think you're ready for this, I want you to do it. I want you to take that step. And I, I, I will talk through that with you. So let us know. 
Um, and by the way, as Jen said, there is a perk to this particular baptism service. We're going we're gonna to have church service, and then at the end we're going to have music, and we're going to baptize people while we're doing music. And usually we have people come up and give their story a little bit, and people are terrified by that. They just about pee their pants. So there's a puddle on the stage, and then they get washed in the, you know, in the... I, I kind of ad-libbed that, and it didn't go how I thought it would. It's just... But some people are nervous to share in front of people, and, and it can detract. They can go, you know, I don't, I don't know that I want to get baptized because I just don't know that I can do public speaking. You don't have to in this one. We're actually just going to have music playing. We're going to have people get in the tank, and we're going to baptize people. You have to say yes to two questions that I'll ask you, and I'll explain that if you reach out to me this week. But it's going to be awesome. And for some of you, it's your time. To close this message, I, I just want you to think about you. If this is the narrative that you want to live into, then what, what would that look like for you in your everyday life right now? Because it's really easy, even as people who, who follow Jesus or have been a part of a church or have done this thing for a really long time, it's really easy for us to lose sight of this story and begin living into a different story. To begin to live as if God is not real and there's no real hope. So I just want to close by asking you, what, what are you walking through right now? Like, what scares you? What are you walking through that's beyond you? Like, are you facing health problems? Is your body failing? Are you losing someone you love? Is your career or your income source in jeopardy right now, or has it been lost? Are you, are you struggling in your marriage or, or wrestling with how to raise, raise your kids? Or maybe for some of you, you want kids more than anything, and it just hasn't happened for you. Or maybe you're caught in a habit or an addiction, and it is, it's just wrecking you. And not only is it wrecking you, it's wrecking people around you. Like, what are you facing that's beyond you right now? I think many of you are walking through, you're walking through various valleys right now. And in light of his trust in the goodness of God, a man of deep faith named David once wrote words that carried him. And these words have carried millions and millions of people over the last 3,000 or so years. Because these are stunning images of life with a good God living in his story. So in the middle of a very dark season, and David went through dark stuff, right? He was, he was betrayed by friends. He was hunted down wrongfully. He, he had sons that he lost and in the middle of a, of a dark season, David wrote this. And I just want to invite you to close your eyes as I read this. He said, this is what it is to live in the story of God. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you living as if these words are true, or are you living a different story? Um, Last year on my online groups that I lead, um, we reflected on Psalm 23. And so to help feel the beauty of it, I, I rewrote the psalm in the negative. Like, like I rewrote it in its opposite form. Like what if this story isn't true at all? Like what then? And, and you guys, it's incredibly unsettling. Um, and so I want to read it to you. And uh, I want to invite the worship team to come up as I read this, but uh, I want to just close your eyes and um, let me read, what if this wasn't true? I think this is chilling. Um, the Lord is not my shepherd. I lack everything. He won't let me lie down in green pastures. He leads me into hurricane winds. He depletes my soul. He guides me toward all the wrong paths for his namesake. Because I walk through the darkest valley, I'm terrified of everything. 
for you are not with me. Your rod and your staff, they do not comfort me. You don't prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You don't anoint my head with oil. My cup is empty. Your goodness and love are nowhere to be found all the days of my life, and I will not dwell in the house of the Lord ever. You can open your eyes. So, yes, when I read that to people in, in our group, it was like we're on Zoom, right? And I, I, I'm reading it, so I look up at the screen, and people are like, And then they were really sweet. And from both groups, people said, thank you for writing that. But as you read it, like, I got, I got chills. Like, it just felt like the voice of, of the serpent. So then I had, them, I had everybody pick out a verse or two that we found most disturbing. Um, it was a very uplifting exercise. <laughs> and, and for me, uh, there were two lines that just bothered me most. Um, the first one was, because I walk through the darkest valley, I'm terrified of everything. For you are not with me. I do not want to live that story. And then the other verse was, your goodness and love are nowhere to be found all the days of my life. And I will not dwell in the house of the Lord ever. You guys, to me, to me, that story is about as unsettling as it gets. And it is not the story that I want to live into. And thank God, it's not the story of Jesus. And so one last time, I just want to ask you, what are you walking through right now? And what story are you living into and out of as you walk through it? Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting every one of us into something beautiful. So will you lean into his invitation? Because it is wide open to you. It is wide open to you.